You are listening to Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast with Diogo Custodio. If this is your first time listening, then thanks so much for coming. Get ready and enjoy the show. So hello and welcome to another edition of Coaches on the Couch. Um, you're probably looking at us on the Try Training Harder Coach Athletes Group and potentially listening to it through our podcast, Believe, Strive, Achieve. Um, I'm Alan Ward and I'm one of the coaches here and I guess I've been here a little while. I'm joined today by Kevin, one of the other coaches, and we are going to be talking about um, these sort of Norwegian coaches and some of the things that you might observe out there on social media, um, YouTube and even in blogs and articles and everybody's kind of talking about this topic at the moment and obviously they've been quite successful this 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 guy Christian Blumenfeld's won a few things recently um what is it that that small event the Olympic Games and the, the other small event the Ironman World Championships the, the other week did he did quite well Kevin's yeah. Kevin's nodded along so yeah he's probably, yeah, yeah. probably right am his I missing anybody else off that list? say that again I said his mate Gustav isn't too bad either yeah, and uh, is it Casper Storms as well? I think that's that. Yeah, it's quite good. Yeah, I think they're a bit of a trio, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and a bit uh, less well known. Yeah, I was watching uh, Christian's YouTube channel a few weeks ago at Altitude before St George. They were in Sierra Nevada, and he was sort of saying, yeah, I think he was one of with, with one of the female Norwegian athletes as well, and saying that there's there's obviously female athletes coming through that program as well so um perhaps the likes of daniela reef and lucy charles need to uh keep an eye out, keep an eye out as well um yeah but yeah anyway that's enough of an introduction i'm sure everybody knows what we're on about um so but maybe kevin you can talk a bit more specifically about um what you what you've observed in the in a similar manner yeah sure um so I guess um, I guess what sort of kicked it off, um, sort of looking at the details for me, was that uh, one of our, one of the other coaches, Josh Ringharder, um, sort of forwarded a, a, an article about um, someone who'd gone through um, in quite detail, um, quite a bit of detail, the kind of the sort of Norwegian approach to um, to training, um, and there are a few interesting things that I think popped out of there for me. Um, and uh, I guess, I don't know whether there's anything especially revolutionary in there, but it was, I think, taking some principles and um, essentially kind of really, really be disciplined with those and really sticking to them. Um, and I think it's, I think it's interesting that, you know, that, that approach appears to be, it seems like they're coming out of nowhere right now, but I think, you know, they've been, They'll have been doing that kind of training for a very long time. It seems to be kind of bearing fruit right now. Um, and I just thought, yeah, that article is quite interesting in what it what it describes about how they how they go about things. So, what is that? What exactly was described there? Um, and I let's guess, credit let's credit the author. Yeah. So, um, where is it? It's actually, I think. The thing I'm the uh, what I'm looking at is a is a is a blog article, um, yeah. I believe, um, MariusBacken.com. 
Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's the person who wrote the article or that's someone who wrote a blog on the article that, that came out. But um, yeah. the, 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 there are three kind of main things, I think. Um, the first one was that they did um, a hell of a lot of um, training at lower intensities. Um, and quite a, quite a surprising amount, even for the the kind of disciplines that would you typically might think would be kind of a lot more high intensity based. So, you know, when we talk about Norwegians, it's not just Norwegian triathletes and the two we mentioned earlier. It's like I think it's pretty much across the board from Norwegian endurance sport. They 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 adopt this same kind of principle and. Someone else mentioned there was a was a speed skater, and they obviously do very short events, or some of them do very short events. Yeah. But this this guy was still getting out and riding on his bike for like ninety percent of his training, essentially, even though his event was pretty much akin to, to track cycling. You know, getting out there and smashing it for sort of three or four minutes. So that was the main thing. The, the basically they were doing a lot of base stuff. Um, so that's one thing I should say. Um, the other thing was they were very interested in lack testing and using that as a means to identify training intensities and how hard they should be training in sessions as opposed to obviously you know traditional kind of heart rate measurements or power measurements or all that sort of thing um, and then the last one was they did a hell of a lot of threshold work so um, that was kind of like their I think they kind of go to intensity session it would seem to be always be like threshold or roundabout threshold um that seems con that seems contradictory so to i can see that somebody listening to that might have just heard that they do a lot of volume yep and they also do a lot of threshold is it one or is it both yeah so i guess i guess proportionally um they do a lot more base than threshold, but because they're knocking out, you know, sort of 25, 30 hour weeks, yeah. even if only like 15% of their time is, or 20%, 15 to 20% of the time is threshold, that's still a lot more threshold than most people would end up doing, as in hours per week. So I think that was. Well, yeah, 20% would be five hours of threshold. Uh, well, yeah, that's 25 hours, nice, is it? <laughs> five, yeah, five hours of threshold is, well, if you think about that, theoretically, you can do that for one hour. Yeah. So that means on five days, or for five sessions, it's probably a slightly better way of looking mm. at it, you will end up, you know, you're going to be doing five sessions of threshold in a week, which is, yeah. which is hard. Absolutely. I think that kind of leads me into one of my observations that, you know, in the, the, the messages that we exchanged before this recording, in that one of my observations is that they do, their threshold work is not spread out. It's on singular days. So they may yeah. well do a threshold swim in the morning and then a threshold run or a threshold bike or even indeed all three all in one day. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the reasoning behind that because doing threshold every day is probably not the best idea. No, no, yeah, they definitely do that. Um, I think that, and they do a few other things as well, I think, to sort of manage it. Um, mm. I, they, they, they seem to do a lot of threshold intervals rather than 
it's not just go out, go hard for an hour until you sort of drop sort of thing. It's like lots of repeats of 10 minute threshold um, chunks basically. Um, yeah. And then that way they can that way they can kind of actually get more threshold done than if they were doing it in one one big lump um, in each session. Yeah. yeah. So similar to VAT time at VAT max is what matters. Yeah. So any any way to get more time is is, is a good thing. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing the other thing I noticed that that probably that allowed them to do it was the fact that and this is this is linked in with the lactate. Um, measurement thing so they they were very strict about what intensity they needed to train at when they were doing their threshold sessions and they did that based off lactate testing and it wasn't just like a oh you know you go at the start of the year you do your lactate testing and that's it that's your that's your your zone set for the year they've they've literally got this you know they're pricking them on the end of the finger, sort of probably like every other training session, because they're kind of essentially wanting to know how, what their level is on on the day, rather than assuming that it's a fixed training zone that isn't ever going to move. Um, and also, I think the fact that they did um, so much base training meant that they could actually cope with that kind of intensity which sounds horrible to you and I but it doesn't it doesn't it isn't as, as stressful for them to do those kind of sessions as yeah. it would be to the to somebody who hasn't done an absolute ton of, of base and really kind of ramped up their, their aerobic system so yeah. I think all those things kind of add together that, that allows them to do that that huge amount or what what looks like a huge amount on paper so. yeah so um the bigger observation for me is that let's go going back to what you said earlier that the, it suddenly appears like they've done quite well overnight like christian's been around on the itu circuit quite a while and he's not been terrible but no. nor has he been winning and dominating there was two chaps, I don't know if you can remember their names, who were quite good, who seemed to dominate a lot of the races. Might be from, you know, Yorkshire somewhere. But they, they were rather good and grabbing all the headlines. Um, yeah. So perhaps Christian sunk into the background. but it, And potentially this is part of why they, they suddenly look like they're doing quite well. Is You know, it could be entirely feasible that the answer is everybody else is just not doing as well. It's not that they're necessarily suddenly doing better. Um, but I think what the reason why they haven't particularly, or it appears as if they've appeared overnight, is that they've been following a systematic plan for decades. You know, going back into when both of the the guys that we're talking about were were junior athletes, and throughout that extensive period of time, they've been training with the support of exercise physiologists. Because a lot of what we've spoken about so far is physiology related, um, and they're they're starting to sort of bear the fruit of that work and that investment. So, 
you know, I think the big question here is what, what, what all of this. So there's a lot of information and a lot of talk out there at the moment. Is I think the key question is, what does this mean for age groupers? You know, should should I'll I'll ask you these questions? Should an age group triathlete, you know, should they be really pushing to train for twenty five to thirty hours a week? Uh, if they can and they want to, but yeah, <laughs> unlikely, isn't it? That's uh, yeah, unlikely to be to be possible for for most of us. Mm. So uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, um, and you know. The, the other side is as well is that you know can i mean we're, we're all probably as consistent as we as we can but then you know you can't life life does get in the way of training so uh so for a professional athlete who can kind of sort of like allocate a certain amount of hours a week year in year out aside from injury of course um hmm. you know well that they definitely can, shouldn't they be a factor <laughs> No, 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 absolutely shouldn't be a factor, but sometimes it happens. But, you know, I'm just yeah. saying that, you know, you, you, it's not like we can all choose to sort of dedicate 10 years of our life to uh, to 30 hours of, of training a week. And then that's a lot of hours. And isn't then it? it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. But, it, yeah, I guess I guess it reflects the investment they make, I guess. Yeah. OK, so ne next question is, uh, should all age group triathletes be invested in blood lactate testing systems? Um. I've never done it, so I, I, I don't I don't really know the answer to that. I'd I'd be interested. I'd be certainly very interested to see, you know, myself on a personal level, what that tells you. Um, I think they're getting. I, I don't know how much one would cost. Have you any idea off the top of your head? Uh, I was just having a quick Google just to check my memory. Mm. Yeah, I was right. Three three to four hundred pounds. Okay, so not ridiculously expensive then. Well, no, not when you compare it to a power meter. Yeah. And then obviously for strips and you know, you need yeah. you need to do you need to do that. Um, but yeah, they're not they're not crazy expensive. Um yeah. but so why why are they I guess the next question is why? Why if that's what they're doing, why are they doing it? Um so I think I think what's quite interesting is that um their their the lactate method is is based on a sort of physiological response so it's okay here's here's a certain amount of work that I'm asking my body to do and the your body is responding to that by producing a certain amount of, of lactate so it's it's how is my body responding to work essentially and they use that response to determine how hard they'd like to go yeah um and i think that's the interesting point in that it's um it's doing it that way around then they're, they're, they're measuring it frequently they're not assuming that everything stays the same and that you roll out of bed and you can do exactly the same performance as you did when you rolled out of bed yesterday yeah. um so they're kind of regularly testing they're seeing how the body's responding and they're using that that information to to adjust the training levels and i think and i think there may be maybe that's a, maybe that's a way of getting it bang on every time maybe they're just getting you know a, a handful of percent more out of every training session compared to people who are less rigorous with how they 
define their training intensities and and perhaps that's making the difference and how do how do other uh, how do how do age group athletes define their training intensities um how does that compare well i guess you know most of us all jump on zwift and do an ftp test so that's probably or you know or or your last your last hard 20 minute effort and do the and do the 95 percent okay and then obviously which may or may not be accurate <laughs> well yes and there's uh i think uh we'd, we're uh, sort of tiptoeing around the rabbit hole here um of um the black hole that is uh, physiology jargon and naming of uh, zones mm -hmm. so how many off the top of your head you know you, what's that game where you sort of say oh i can name 10 films beginning with a and you have to one up each other and it's like you have to call each other out like on whether or not you can do it you know the one i mean yeah mm. all right how many Probably different zones <laughs> how many different zone systems do you think you can name oh Oh, I don't know, but the the drop the drop down list in Training Peaks is quite large, isn't it? When you uh, all right, so well, how many is that? How many do you reckon you can name? Come on, put a number to it. Oh God, I don't know. You get you're kidding me now. I don't know. You've got to pick a number. Putting you on the spot. Have I? I don't know. Five, maybe. Five. There's way more than that. Yeah, there's more than that. The drop down list, maybe. I reckon if really pushed, I don't. I could probably name like eighteen easily. Yeah, well, there you go. So Even if you stuff. just went, um, <laughs> so like non-physiology based, so just like go easy, go hard, and there's there's like a few different versions of that, yeah. And then after that, you've got RPE, and there's two different versions of RPE scales, um, and the, there's probably more than that. And then there's like running 5k, go at a 5k effort, go at a 10k effort, go at a half marathon. So all of these are non, they're just RPE. And then you could name quite a lot in there. And then just sticking to the running, you could go heart rate zones and they could be a three zone, five zone, seven zone, six zone, four zone, 10 zone, and maybe not 10 zone, but there's, and then there's all sorts of different ways of doing it. And then you've got pace for all of those. So another five there. And then you've also got power zones. So Palladino would be an example. Jim Vance would be another. Uh, Stride would be another. And then if we extend that out to swim zones, we can have heart rate, RPE, pace. So critical swim speed, endurance, threshold, et cetera, aerobic, max. Uh, we haven't even started on cycling yet. You've you've won already, Adam. You've won. <laughs> well, it's not, my it's point is not to win. It's just to no, say no, it's no, not no, 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 no. how many zones systems out there, and which which one's right. Go on. Which yeah. one's right? Which one's right? Who According knows? According to the Norwegians, which one is right? Which one is right? Um, I think they they use a three zone, don't they? Well, I don't know. I've got, I've got a zone, one but... word answer to this question, and it's none yeah because that's why I've, in my opinion that's what they're doing what they're doing and i think it's really important for, for you know something for age group athletes to take away from this is that zone systems are an overlay onto our physiology so they're a they're a um a quantitative value 
assigned to a chemical process based on physical work. And they, they are therefore an infrastructure that's, that's put into place to help guide us towards what we're trying to do. They don't tell us, but they guide us. And that's a really important differentiation for athletes to understand. I've literally just finished a conversation before this recording with an athlete where I spoke about GPS. So on old GPS, you had two satellites getting the accuracy. And obviously that's that's great, but now we've been able to go. I mean, it's probably it's probably multiple, but obviously if you've got three satellites and longer grid references, then you're able to triangulate what you're doing, and that's what you can do with zone systems. So perceived exertion is really valuable when compared to heart rate and pace and or power, because then you're able to to make sense of the data in a better more accurate manner than taking one data point because you're able to triangulate and cross compare between them and you're likely to get a more accurate reading to what is actually going on with physiology um and it's i think you were spot on in what you said that they're doing it to squeeze a little bit more percentage of accuracy out of every session for me that that's that's what's from what i observe observe that's what's going on yeah I, I mean i guess yeah there's i mean there's plenty of other people that well, systems that look at a lot of volume um i guess maybe the the emphasis on threshold is is, is kind of interesting but but yeah I'd, I'd imagine that that would be the you know it's gotta be a massive factor isn't it you know to know to know you're training exactly what you want to train as well as you can in in that particular session yeah, yeah. Rather, like, rather than being kind of close or maybe close or not yeah. even vaguely close on in the case of some some people that don't really know what they're doing yeah yeah and so obviously you can go to a laboratory and have testing done that tells you exactly what's going on in terms of your your gas exchange and therefore metabolically what's going on and align that with the the output kind of data in terms of pace or power and therefore you're gonna get more more accurate understanding of what's actually going on with your physiology. But what a lot of people do with that data is then turn into zones. And the, the real trick there is that you do those zones, but then as you were saying, how long does the accuracy of those zones last? A day, two days, a week, two weeks, three weeks? It certainly doesn't last longer than six weeks which is why in terms of coaching retesting every six weeks is something put forward. And it's also the reason why most physiology papers, as in um, academic papers, they're tested over a six week period, because that's the period with which you're probably likely to see a significant change. Whether or not yeah. that's correct or not, you could debate at an academic level, but I think the where we're talking about it here is, is, a, is a, it's a fair sort of piece of perspective. Yeah. Sounds about right. So yeah, I mean, as well as that, the point I was getting at was that, you know, on a day when you're, you're fresh, I mean, you, you typically test fresh. Yeah. Um, but how many, how many training days are you, you know, do you, do you spring out of bed and you've had oh, you know, every two, day. three days every, off or every day, you know, and you're, and you're raring to go versus actually I'm a bit tired today, but I've got this stuff to do and I'm going to go, go do it. And you know, I'd imagine it's it's probably you're probably less likely to be as fresh as you are 
in training as you are on a test day, then you are going to be more likely to be a bit fatigued. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but you're, you're still assuming equivalent performance in your training because you're using training zones based off your fresh test day. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting point because that makes me think that <laughs> probably not what I was thinking going into this, but is what I'm thinking now. Actually, this kind of support would potentially be more useful to age group athletes than to professional athletes. Yeah, maybe because I guess on, on that basis, you'd say most people might be slightly overtraining. Well, not overtraining in the sense that they're doing too much volume, but they might be, you know, if if on most days your your actual your actual performance that you can achieve is slightly lower than you expect it to be because you're not as fresh as you are on test day, then you're kind of working yourself slightly too hard. Yeah, the I think the, the really big factor for me is what athletes, you know, if you've got four hours of training in a day, what do you do with the other 20 hours? Like, I know the video that I was mentioning earlier on uh, Christian's YouTube channel, he, he was talking about, you know, 10 hours of sleep. And it's the thing that he was really um, quite, I don't know, his conviction was, you could really tell that it was something he really bothered about was getting to bed early and making damn sure he maxed out his sleep. Mm-hmm. Like, he was not messing about. There's, like, you could see a serious face when he was talking about it. And age group athletes... Sleep. Yeah, age group athletes are not doing that. No. There's, there's not many that are. Um, you know, you throw a job, significant others, social life, kids, um, a lack of ideal training environment, even commuting to the pool can be a significant drain on time as a resource um so yeah I, w- I wanted to mention like i often mention this in conversations with athletes but in trying to help develop their understanding of this within how within their their um perspective and their reflection on training that's done is asking them if i ask you to you know saying to athletes if i asked you to do an ftp test ftp test every day this week would you have got the same power number out? And the answer is clearly no. So then, okay, with that understood, what, what, what implications does that have on your zones on those days? Did you change your zones on those days? No. So what, what were you doing? And that's kind of what there is this perspective, which I think is something that's really useful to take out take out of this to to actually almost be a little bit kinder to yourself when you've had a tough day at work Um, yeah yeah. because it's not it's not the numbers that count like zones are like i say this overlay this grid you know they're a guidance system it's not hitting the numbers that counts it's doing the work that counts and you have to do the work at the right physiology in order to drive the right adaptations and there's almost too much talk about zones and CSS and FTP and whatever else. And there's not enough talk about VO2 max, lactate, threshold, and LT1, LT2, blimey. We're tinkering around that circle of uh, physiology jargon again. But there's not enough talk about that going on out there. And as a very neat segue, I know that you know we've done 
you know, from your sort of drive. There's been a lot more talk about that with some of the um, the coached athletes and the uh, the the live swift sessions that the coached athletes do. So perhaps it's a good opportunity for you to talk about what you've done there as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I mean just to just to tie it back in um, to the to the, Nor the Norwegian thing, going back to the whole base thing, which is they do a lot of training at what looks like a very, very low intensity. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I kind of got interested in something um, about, when was it, about six months ago? Because uh, essentially how you'd normally define that, that lower intensity or that LT1, as, as you were talking about earlier, would be you go to a laboratory, you get hooked up to a metabolic cart, you do your... You do a step test, and they tell you uh, basically where your where your where your um, your first um, threshold is. Your aerobic threshold, LT1, yeah. it's got VT1, it's got lots of different names. So, can um, you, but essentially, for everyone's benefit, can you spell out what is going on there physiologically? Yeah. Okay. So, so I think sometimes um, the terminology can be confusing, and actually, the physiology yeah, yeah. is easier to understand than all the mixed terminology. Yeah, so, so so basically, um, it's it's a first threshold um, which you probably wouldn't even notice, um, and what what is happening is it's your your body's going from thinking, okay, this is actually kind of easy to be honest. I can provide all the energy that I need to do whatever I'm I'm trying to do um, through fat. Through uh, burning fat, and I'd, I'd hardly need any carbohydrates at all because it's easy. Um, and then you so slowly increase intensity, and, and essentially you get to the point where those aerobic systems which use fat as a fuel are of maxed out. They're going as hard as they can. So if they have to go any harder, then you've got to start bringing in carbohydrate as a fuel. Um, so this is still a fairly easy intensity for some, for most people, uh, and exactly where it is varies quite a bit, which is another interesting thing which we can get onto. But but essentially, it's it's a first threshold where your body goes, okay, I've got as much as I can out of fat. Now I'm going to have to start shifting to carbohydrate. And and essentially, what you want to do is you want to train at that point without going too far, so you have to start to bring in a lot of carbohydrate. And the reason for that is that when you're working at that particular intensity, you're using your, um, your endurance, you know, your type one muscles, your, your, your mitochondrial fat burning energy systems to, to yeah. their maximum. So therefore you're developing them as efficiently as you can. It's a bit like going back to, you know, the Norwegians and getting their training sessions bang on. At that point, you are aerobically training yourself as best as is possible without doing any more than you need to. So mm. that's that's the kind of logic behind finding where that point is because then you can go out and you can say, right, if I if I train at that point, I am developing my aerobic systems as, as well as I can and generating as little fatigue as possible whilst doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So the fuel sense. the fuel source is the one aspect, but then the delivery system is also a, is an intermediate part of that. Uh, yes. Yeah. So what 
So after, uh, before and after LG1, what would they look like as well? So um, it's purely oxygen underneath LT1. So that's yeah. very much like, so I think most people understand you've got aerobic oxygen, anaerobic without oxygen. What happens to those two components either side of that LT1? Um, so if anything happens. Yeah, okay. So you, you get up to LT1, you're using oxygen and you're using fat. Yeah. You cross, you cross LT1, um, you're now using oxygen. You're starting to use less fat and it's being replaced by carbohydrates. Yeah. All, all the way up to LT2, which is your anaerobic threshold. Yeah. Well, you're still using oxygen, um, but your fat use has probably dropped right off. Yeah. Um, and now you're using carbohydrates and oxygen to provide energy. And then you keep going past your anaerobic threshold, so above your FTP power, whatever. And you start getting into the kind of temporary systems where it's like, uh, we can't get everything we need from oxygen anymore. So we're having to bring in other systems. Um, yeah. And there's I a think bunch of those, but they're all temporary. Yeah, yeah. I think a good way to look at those is like oxygen is like an external fuel tank. You, you, it's endless. Yeah. And then when you get into those limited ones, it's internal tanks yeah. that need to be refilled. Funnily enough, they need to be refilled by oxygen that's what you've got but they, they they're finite it's like your fuel tank in your car you know you, you it's kind of the difference between a solar car if you like it will just keep running off sunlight because it's external versus a fuel tank in a car you can obviously go faster with a petrol engine than a solar engine well as far as i know you can um but the solar car will keep going forever but the petrol car can go a hell of a lot faster but it'll run out of fuel after a while yeah and, and, and each each fuel tank gets a bit smaller. Yeah, and then if you went so to like nitrous oxide, the, that would get even smaller. Yeah. Well, I loved it. So Solar, yeah, that's, that's petrol, nitrous, genius. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Build that car. <laughs> and that, that, that's, 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 yeah, that's, that's quite a good analogy. Totally made that up on the spot. Um, but I think if uh, people were trying to understand what's going on with physiology, it's really useful to try to simplify that because yeah. there is a lot of mixed terminology out there okay so what have we done with that i guess is the next step yeah so so basically you define you define that that lt1 point or that aerobic threshold point um you're trying to get you're trying to get your solar power you're trying to max out your solar power because it's the biggest fuel tank essentially yeah. and it and it sits it sits under all those other energy systems and props them all up it never never actually goes away well actually it, it does a little bit but it's, it's mayor most most of the racing that most people we probably coach or we're involved with they'll, they'll they'll be using that that fuel system and that energy system most of the time um and therefore that's why it's important to get it to get the training right to get that yeah. part of things as good as we can get them so i never actually got onto um what kind of kicked this all off which was um finding out about six months ago there was an alternative to measuring that that aerobic threshold or LT1. So instead of having to go to a lab and pay someone to tell you what that was, um, some people were, were developing a, a, a methodology that allowed you to measure that same threshold, but using um, 
HRV or heart rate yeah. variability data. So essentially, without going into a massive amount of detail, um, most people can do that as long as they've got um, a heart rate strap. Um, it won't work off wrist-based stuff. Um, and either either a watch that will allow them that will allow them to record HRV data, or if you haven't got a watch to do that, um, Garmin's got an app that runs on most of the modern either bike computers or watches, um, or you can even get phone apps that will, will essentially talk to your heart rate strap and take that HRV data. Um, yeah. But basically, what you do is you do a ramp test in the same way that you do a ramp for for an FTP test or a VO2 max test or whatever. Um, it's adjusted slightly because the steps are longer and shallower because you want to try and basically bring your sort of your effort up up to a certain level and then, and then balance everything out. So if you did like a short step test, your heart rate is kind of always catching up with your legs basically. So you're trying to avoid that by having a long step and have things even out. Um, and you get you get the step test, um, you take the HRV data, um, plug it into um, a bit of software which works it all out because um, essentially what it's looking for in your in your heart rate data are patterns um, and how those patterns change tells us whether your body is shifting from a get this the right way around from a parasympathetic um, sort of nervous um, system response to a sympathetic one and essentially that's the harder the harder you pedal on, on your bike um, because this is this is all mainly based around um, working it out via um, sort of um, on the bike as opposed to running um, the harder you pedal basically the more the more you move away from a parasympathetic response to a sympathetic response and when you're halfway between the two that just happens to be where your aerobic threshold is, your LT1 is. So essentially, we're using that heart rate data to find out where that, that point is instead of oxygen gas exchange or another method, uh, or lactate is a different way, but they'll, they'll try and work that out as well. So it's a, just a different response from the body, but measuring the same thing, if that makes sense. And it's something we can do at home. So, yeah, so it's trying to get those the more accurate. It's it's looking beyond the overlay of zones, if you like, to get a slightly more accurate reading and some guidance on what's going on behind the zones yeah. with the in, you know the actual physiology. Absolutely, yeah. So in the same way that the Norwegians are doing that with lactate, yeah. then we're trying to do that with HRV, um, essentially. Cool. Um, so that's that's like the the, the the idea. That's how it works. Um, and I've been mucking around with it for a little while. And given that we um, we have like a a group of a group of TTH athletes who who ride on on Zwift most Wednesdays, um, I've chucked a few tests in, um, walked them through it because obviously it's it's a little bit more complicated than the average. FTP test because you don't just jump on the bike and pedal. You've got to jump on the bike and pedal and gather this HRV data and yeah. start it at the right time, stop it at the right time, yeah. and analyze the files and all that gubbins. But anyway, 
it's new, online, it's just it? new as well like it's a new thing yeah. to do so of course with everything like you say mucking about i say learning yeah <laughs> fair enough yeah no it is absolutely and you know some people have got equipment that works and some people haven't and it's figuring yeah. out what you know how, how to do it basically because it's still fairly you know um it's not a, it's not a standard kind of approach um no, it's more it's and more things it's not more ways of doing it but it's still yeah it's still fairly new um so yeah basically um we've done a few of these now so we'll all we'll all do that that sort of like long slow steady ramp test um they'll send me their, their hrv data i'll put it into a, a graph which shows how the power goes up the heart rate goes up um and without going into a huge amount of detail um basically what happens is um the hrv data is kind of converted into a sort of index um, and that's what the soft that's what the clever software does. It basically takes all the individual heart rate information, yeah, looks at the patterns, works out an index, uh, and then you come up with a number per per step. And when that index when that index drops down because it starts off high, when when we're at rest doing nothing, this index is kind of like quite high. And then as we start to exercise, it slowly drops down. Yeah. And when it crosses a certain point, um, that's where they've defined through testing where um, your aerobic threshold is. So basically, you've got a graph with heart rate, power, um, and this index, which is slowly coming down to that that level Crossing line. And when it, cro yeah. when it crosses over there, that's that's bang. That's your that's your aerobic threshold. So I can go back to people and say, right, you got an aerobic threshold at 136 BPM. You were doing 210 watts so that's you know that's your upper limit that's what yeah if you want to be you know doing your very best to train your aerobic system that's what you need to train at um or below uh yeah yeah that or below yeah well yeah. essentially you're 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 that's as high as you want to go yeah definitely that's, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, maximum yeah. aerobic bed so yeah. and it's and it's been quite interesting um as far as I said earlier, that you know it it varies quite a bit. Um, so for some people, that thresh that crossover is quite low down in their sort of like in the normal intensity scale. So for some people, it might be in zone one. So like what seems like really easy. Um, and other people, it can be all the way up in zone three, kind of tempo, quite hard effort. So it depends on the innate somewhat innate physiology of an athlete in terms of their muscle fiber type their, and, absolutely yes and also their their physiological makeup and i think you nicely brought me around something i had written down here and i've underlined to try and get this in is is we have an engine if you like like we were saying about that solar petrol nitrous yeah those are those are three three different engines if you like and we all have different capacities or limits, if you like. We Obviously, you can improve in certain areas, but there are going to be restrictions and levels. You know, not everybody's as good as everybody else. That's kind of how it is in life with everything. Mm -hmm. Some people are good at stuff. Some people aren't. Some people are really good at the aerobic stuff. Some people are really good at nitrous stuff. You know, Usain's quite, Usain Bolt was rather good at running 100 metres. 
not everybody is that's kind of how it is so within those like different levels we all have a maximum capacity something that we can achieve so that's like a physiological capacity but then thresholds are not capacities they're just percentages of something we could achieve so with training they can move up and get closer so when you say you know uh your ftp is 100 percent where something you might start with an lt1 at 65 percent, but then with effective training be able to move that up to 75 percent. just because it's 75 percent one for one person doesn't mean it is for person b c d e and f so also what we're talking about here is the individualizations of zones that are based not only well in this instance they are based on the aerobic component but you can also go the other way and look at the anaerobic components so for sort of draft legal um, triathletes that's obviously going to become increasingly important whereas what we're talking about today is obviously much more important for the longer course athletes um, maybe frc is for a, another conversation um so ho hopefully um what we've been over there has helped gain a little bit of perspective on um a popular topic and a little bit of insight into where where it fits into the landscape of training training zones and i guess athlete physiology and i hope we've answered hopefully i don't know you go hopefully you nod to this game but hopefully we've answered the question kind of what can or gave, gave an example at least of what age group athletes can take from what they're potentially observing yeah okay um i think that kind of wraps us up for today um if anybody has any questions or observations or they want to add to that please let us know because we'd be really interested um uh, if anybody does want to join the virtual squad to have a go at these Zwift sessions, then they can do that uh, via the virtual squad link on the TTH website. If anybody wants to ask please, about that squad, you can also email in and then you can join Kevin during those mostly Wednesday morning, aren't they, the tests? These ones? Um, yeah. Yeah. What That's time what is it? Them. You have to remind uh, me. Never it, wait. 7 a.m. UK time. <sighs> not an early bird not an early bird no. best but yeah okay and yeah any other questions feel free to come back to us via the website i hope everybody has found this really useful um but from myself and kevin that's it for today thank you cheers the believe strive achieve podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and show notes are found at trytrainingharder.com Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Try Training Harder. Thanks for listening.